0: Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, verses 3 through 14. And following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that, the, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. Last week, I mentioned the three broad categories of the whole Heidelberg Catechism that we've been working our way through, uh, and I'm not sure I was completely clear, so let me just rephrase that again. So the first part of the catechism is how great our sins and miseries are. The middle part of the Catechism is on how we meet how we may be delivered from our sin and misery, and the third part is how we can show gratitude to God for that deliverance from that misery. And we're nearing the end of the middle part of how we may be delivered from our sin and misery. How is it that the redemption purchased by Christ comes to be a part of our lives? And in this section that we're beginning is sort of a part of our life as the church so, today we'll look at these questions that have to do with the sacraments in general. Over the next two Sundays, we'll cover the next couple sections, combining several Lord's Days together on baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then the final section of this middle part is the keys of the kingdom, Lord's Day 31. And. Following that, then we will begin the section on how we may show gratitude to the, to the Lord. And the two major parts of that third section are the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. So that's what we will be looking forward to getting to as we go along the way. So the catechism has been laboring in these recent questions about the importance of justification by faith alone. And here it touches on it again. If we're made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only, by faith alone, Uh, where does this faith come from? How do we get our faith? What's the source of our faith? And that's the question, the point of this question before you. The gospel must be faithfully preached to, to all people w- w- without the, the, the distinction. Uh, we are not to say, well, that group doesn't need it and that group does. <clears throat> our calling, our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel uh, without distinction. But we know that not everyone that the gospel is preached to believe and so the question is, what makes them differ? Why, why the difference? Why is it that some believe and others reject the gospel? And uh, there are those who would put the, the, there's basically two sources. It's either from man or from God. There are many who would say, well, what makes these groups of people differ is that some people are more noble than other people maybe more intelligent, more insightful. They can hear the good news and see that it is good news and and embrace it and believe it. And so there are, people are different and some people are better than others and they can come to that on themselves. Well, the Bible doesn't allow us to even think that way. The Bible makes it very clear that all men are dead in their transgressions and sins. That we're all blind. Uh, that there is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, Jesus said uh, that the flesh profits nothing. We, it cannot be for man. Man is not the source of the grace that comes into his life. Who is the source? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts. Uh, The other part of Jesus' statement, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Paul in his letter to the Philippians, trying to encourage them in their perseverance, says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, They didn't begin the good work in them. God began the good work in them. It's God who... Is the one who initiates the good work. It's his power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But what is it that the Holy Spirit uses to create faith in us or to uh, work that grace in us? We'll turn, please, to Romans ten, verses fourteen and following. Romans ten says how then in Romans 10:14 <clears throat> how then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news but not all the israelites accepted the good news Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to create faith in us. It begins with his regenerating work. But then when the word of God is preached, you and I are given eyes to see and ears to hear and a will to embrace Uh, The gospel, the good news, that's preached through the word of God. But the the, the tool, the means that the Holy Spirit uses is the word of God. So it's very important that the preaching be centered in the scriptures. But it's not the Bible alone, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit through that. And uh, G.I. Williamson gives us uh, a helpful illustration about the connection of these two things. He says, Imagine a man who sits in pitch darkness. He sits in complete darkness for two reasons. In the first place, there is no light. In the second place, his eyes are blind. What does he need then in order to see? He needs two gifts to be given to him by someone else he needs someone to turn on the light, and then someone to restore his eyesight. The preaching of the word of God is like turning on the light. Everyone who hears the word is exposed to the light. Regeneration, making the dead man alive again, is like restoring the man's eyesight. Regeneration restores one's ability to understand spiritual things. Both preaching and regeneration are essential. So where is the source of faith in us? Faith alone that... Embraces justification? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit working life in us and uh, through the Word of God bringing us to faith. But the answer goes on to say, well, there's one other thing that God does give us that the Holy Spirit uses to be a blessing and a help to us, and that is the sacraments. Now, the next question that we come to, he's going to talk about how They help and benefit us. But the Holy Spirit makes us alive in Christ through the word of God. And then God gives us these sacraments to be a help and encouragement to us. And the thing I would like you to reflect on or think about for a minute here just at this point is how wonderful and merciful and good our God is to us. He is a spirit and does not have a body like men. We can't see God. We can't see spiritual things. They're realities, but we can't see them. And God in his kindness to us, because we're physical beings, God in his kindness to us gives us visible things to confirm and assure us of the reality of spiritual truth church fathers would speak about it, particularly Augustine, and he would phrase it this way. He said, they are visible means of an invisible grace. And it's the great kindness of God that we have these sacraments. The uh, second point or question we come to or what are the sacraments? <clears throat> and we see the description, and we're going to go through that uh, in a moment. But I'd like you to take your hymnal So set your Bible down for a minute. Take your hymnal up and turn in the back to page 876 to see the parallel in our Westminster Shorter Catechism. I have two reasons why I'm having you do this. One is I want you to see the parallel. And the other thing is I want you to know it's there. Uh, You you probably don't know what's in your hymnal, and I want you to know that that's in your hymnal. So if you ever want to look at, at it, you can. But question 88, begin there. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. And then skip down to verse question 91. <clears throat> How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effectual means of salvation not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive them. What is a sacrament? Sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Sometimes people have a problem with the word sacrament. They would prefer the word ordinance. The word sacrament kind of makes them nervous as though there's something magical or mystical in the word sacrament, we are not saved by the sacraments, but the sacraments become means by which God confirms or assures us of the truth and reality of of what we uh, what we believe in the gospel. In uh, the word sacrament, it has come in our use of it to refer to that those ordinances, those symbols that God has ordained. <clears throat> for us to use in worship that picture the saving work of Christ. There's some older uses of the word that can can be helpful. Uh, in, in ancient times when folks got together in a covenantal relationship and there was a financial amount put down to secure that relationship, that was called a sacrament. Sometimes a soldier going into battle swearing allegiance to his king, that would be called, that oath would be called a sacrament. But there's nothing magical or mystical. It's a descriptive word of these visible signs and seals. <clears throat> the sacraments are, are holy, they are visible, they are signs, and they are seals. Uh, turn to Romans 4, verse 11. This is talking about Abraham when he received circumcision as a sign and seal after he believed. In Romans 4.11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. The sign is the visible symbol of the spiritual reality. They're sensible signs. That is, you can embrace them with your five senses. See, smell, taste, touch, and hear. So they're they're visible before you. They're obvious before you and Baptism, we use water. In the Lord's Supper, we use bread and the cup as these visible symbols. So they're a, a sign of the spiritual reality behind them. And they're a seal. That is a, a seal that in, our, in the usage is typically authenticates a document. Like if you have a diploma and there's a statement on there that you graduated from a certain institution, on that diploma will be a seal. And the seal authenticates the genuineness of your education. Whether you made it through fine or not is another matter. But you got the diploma. And the, the seal authenticates that. And so the sacraments become visible pictures of the work of grace. And they are seals to the believer. In other words, it authenticates the reality of that truth to each person who embraces the Lord Jesus Christ. They're appointed by God. They're not appointed by any church, not appointed by any man. Uh, Christ, when he gathered his disciples, said, all authority is on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It Christ authorized baptism. Christ authorized the Lord's Supper in a passage I'll read in a little bit in the in the service. Uh, Paul in Corinthians says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. It's Christ that ordained these symbols, these pictures of his redeeming work. And the message of the sacraments are, are as is stated in that particular question, it's the message is the promise of the gospel, specifically, that he gives you the forgiveness of sins and life eternal because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It's the message of the gospel that's pictured in both sacraments. In that sense, both sacraments, even though we have two, both sacraments are a unity. They're both portraying for us in a visible form the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And it's confirming it to us in our faith. It's sealing to us, authenticating the reality of that grace. And so that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, these sacraments become affirmations to know that it's true. It's real. It's sure. You can be confident about it. The third idea is, what was the purpose of the sacraments? It comes out in verse in, in, in question 67 in the answer. <clears throat> Why did God give us these sacraments? We ask the children that question, and they say to distinguish his disciples from the world and to comfort and strengthen them. Uh, Zacharias or Sinus, who wrote this catechism, he gives five different purposes that he sees for God giving us these sacraments. The first, he says, is they are signs of the covenant of God's goodwill toward us. They're signs of our covenant relationship. We have a bond with the Lord that he has made. He's taken the initiative. He's established it. And he's giving us this this visible picture of the work of his kindness toward us, his goodwill toward us, and establishing a covenant with us. A second reason is it's the profession and acknowledgement of our gratitude and duty to God. As we participate in the sacrament, we are professing our faith in what they represent. We are committing ourselves to the duty which they call us to. Uh, When we ask the children, to what does your baptism bind you? And they answer, to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the sacrament is given to distinguish you as disciples from the world. And your calling is, you need to be different than the world. You need to be bound to the Lord in pursuing a holy life. That's his third point. They distinguish the church from the world. You you need to be distinguished from the world. And the sacraments call you to that. They call you to obedience. They call you to faith. <clears throat> uh, the sacraments, a fourth thing he says, contribute to the preservation and propagation of the gospel. In other words, as we preach the gospel and as we have these sacraments, they, in an ongoing basis, they keep the the, uh, the reality and the truth of the gospel before us and before our hearts and before our minds. And in this sense, his point is taken from the Old Testament practice of Passover when the son would ask the father, why do we do this? And the father would say, uh with because with a mighty hand the lord brought us out of egypt out of the land of slavery and your children may ask maybe they've already asked why do we do this um why why, why do we have this and you can you can tell them it's because jesus died on the cross to take away our sin and we believe in him Uh, The sacraments are bonds of mutual love, his last point. Not only our love for God, very much so that, but it's our love for one another. The sacraments you see are a picture of, of us together. You are a baptized covenant family. You are a communing covenant family. And it's the bond of love that these picture and are a significant part of our relationship together. We have only two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these sacraments are a wonderful provision of our covenant God to encourage us, to aid and assist us in our faith. And the provisions of his love and gratitude and our response is love and gratitude and they're... They're, they're uh, parts of our worship that bring us great blessing, great, great encouragement, great comfort, and great help along the way. And so I will encourage you every time we have a sacrament to, to see Jesus Christ in these things and to come and embrace him and know him. <clears throat> but there is another side to this that we don't totally ignore, and that is, while there's the sanctions for blessing in the sacrament, there's also the sanctions for warning. In 1 Corinthians 11, for those who abused the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, God brought judgment upon them. And you and I need to come to the sacraments, not fearfully, but at the same time with a sense of awe, sense of reverence for God, a sense of Appreciation for what it is that he's given to us. And <clears throat> when we leave this place with the mark of God on us, that we will live as those who are set apart to God and not contradict them by the way we live. But the encouragement that God wants you to have in coming to the sacraments is the comfort of his love and favor. He wants to bless you. He wants to set you apart and comfort you and strengthen you. And that's what this is all about. And so reflect on the sacraments and come to the Lord with gratitude, with reverence and awe for all that he has done for you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for providing for us these wonderful gifts and the the sacraments that you've put before us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. May we grow in our understanding of them. May we appreciate the wonder and goodness of your love that you bring these things to us to aid us and help us in our walk of faith, to be confident of what we believe and confident in how we live May you, O Lord, be glorified and do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.